This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Amy Dunphy. Now, we will have a budget in October, but already there's been a summer statement on our finances. And of course, the perception is that we have done really well as an economy, that we have a lot of money to spend. This money, of course, is the result mainly of corporate taxation from companies who are here from abroad in the tech and pharma industries. This presents a problem for the government because the perception is that we're wealthy and could therefore do something about health and indeed housing. But the reality is different. And it's a pleasure now to welcome to the stand Pascal Dunhu. He's Minister for Public Expenditure, National Development Plan and Reform since December 2022. Before that, he was Minister for finance. He's also the president of the Eurogroup since July 2020, and he is TD for Dublin Central constituency. Minister, thank you very much for joining us on the stand. I want to begin by asking you about RTE. It's been on the news pages now for almost four weeks, and it is a very serious crisis in confidence and the corporate structures there, and indeed the personnel and the performances of people before Eroctus committees, all of those things raise fundamental questions about RTE's future, not to mention the recent past. What have you made of it? So the recent revelations have been of great concern to me. Uh, What has been of the greatest worry is the uh, understatement of uh, Ryan Tuberty's earnings. Uh, because for an organization that is focused on the presentation of the truth and clarity and transparency, there are clearly very serious issues that have been caused by uh, how those earnings were presented to the public, to the Iraqis and to the government. Um, all that being said, though, uh, we will need an RTE at the end of this. And there are two things I believe now need to happen. Uh, number one, we need to allow the Oireachtas to continue with their work. Uh, and as that is happening, we as a government have now appointed a forensic accountant to get to the bottom of some of the issues that I've just referenced. And secondly, we have a new director general in place in Kevin Backhurst. And I believe some of the ideas that he has outlined are a very valuable way in how we will regain trust in RTE. More government money is 
almost a perpetual demands from RTE because they claim that they need more money. They have land, some of which they sold, a small portion of it. Kevin Backhurst did raise the prospect last week, in fact, that they might sell the whole of the Montrose campus to get the money and move somewhere else and that they don't really need that site in their present circumstances. Is giving an organization that clearly doesn't function very well at the moment, that isn't well run in corporate terms, more money? Or is it worth perhaps Kevin Backer saying, okay, do we need this campus? If we can get a very, very large sum of money for it, shouldn't we do that? So do you have opinions about those things? I do. I mean, we haven't had any proposals presented to government yet regarding the future of Montrose. Yeah. And it's up to the Director General and his new team to form a view in relation to us. Uh, all I would say is that what would be vital for the long-term future is a sustainable revenue uh, that is available to the organisation to fund the activity we want them to do. And as important as uh, the sale of an asset can be, it will, on the other hand, only generate an amount of money that while it will be large, yes. will also be finite. Yes. What they will need is ongoing funding. So I um, will await any proposals RTE have to bring to government on us. Uh, we have a few bridges to cross before we get to the issue of what kind of funding RTE may need in the future. And in the meantime, uh, though I know this is a difficult argument to make, Eamon, uh, I would still make the case for the television license and the need for uh, it to be paid. The question is how. And before we leave the RT subject, they would prefer if it was part of general taxation, the revenue, in other words, being the collector. Mm -hmm. And there is a lot of tax evasion or license fee evasion in the country. The government appears to have rejected, I think the taxation authorities have appeared to have rejected the idea they should collect it. Do you have a view on who should yes, collect it? Yes, I do. I mean, I was part of the decision at the time arguing that the Revenue Commissioner should not collect us. The Revenue Commissioner collects tax. The television license is a fee. It is not tax. And uh, I would be very reluctant to see the television license itself abandoned. It's a charge that the majority of people in our country still pay. And uh, it's not clear to me why, even with the collection difficulties that are there, why we should walk away from a, a, a revenue stream uh, that is available to RTE that has been historically available to them for decades. Uh, but these are issues that I know uh, later in the year uh, will have to be examined. I need hardly tell you, Eamon, that we are in a world in which uh, disinformation misinformation. Yes. Uh, the very nature of truth itself is all up for debate. It's fake, all been fake challenged. Fake news, as Mr. Trump calls it. Well, I, I hesitate, I'm even horrified to quote him in any way, yes. particularly with regard to the future of public sector broadcasting. But the very nature of journalism and the role that it performs um, it's clear to me is more than ever going to be vital to how democracies yes. function. And that is why as uh, disappointed as I have been uh, in the revelations that have emerged from RTE, I do also think we need a sense of balance about it and a sense of proportion. 
We need to get to the bottom of what happened. Uh, but I don't want the uh, huge disappointment that I and others have about what has happened in RTE to at the same time uh, overshadow yes. the reality that we do need an RTE. And we now need to commence a discussion with RTE and keep in mind the broader public regarding what will be the future of that organisation. But I'm certain it has a future and we need it. Now, let me ask you about a story that was in the Sunday Business Post yesterday. They, under Freedom of Information request, acquired letters between Exchange Virginia yourself and the Minister for Health, mm -hmm. uh, Stephen Donnelly. They were rather rough, and health, of course, eats up so much money. And you felt it was time to say enough is enough. Mm. In, in essence, that's what was said. I'm not misrepresenting anything there, am I? That's correct. And uh, the only limitation of podcasting, Eamon, is uh, your listeners can't see where we are. And yeah. we've actually, on a bright uh, July morning, you've actually come into my office here in the Department of Public Expenditure to do this interview. Yes. And behind me, there's my desk. And on that desk at the moment, there's many such letters that I write to ministers at different points regarding where we are with spending. And uh, what the Business Post over the weekend did is write a, a very thorough story about a communication that has taken place between myself and the Minister for Health regarding their funding needs for this year and next. And you've laid out the key facts of us. Just to give you a bit of background to it all, in 2016, we were spending around 14 billion euro per year in our health services. For this year, uh, that figure will now be 24 billion euro. So we've massively increased the amount of spending in our health services because they need us. But at the same time, what I have to do is keep that spending inside certain parameters uh, because we have to ensure that there's enough money to do other things the government wants to do. And I have to be certain that how we spend money doesn't create problems for us later on in the year when we do the budget. And that's at the heart of the engagement that I had with Stephen. Now, the budget's coming in October. The perception is that we're doing really well and that's corporate tax that's coming in. And the pressures are to spend mm -hmm. more. And it's worth pointing out at this stage that Michael McGrath is Minister for Finance. You mm -hmm. are now Minister for Public Expenditure. You were previously mm -hmm. the Minister for Finance and the roles have switched. Mm -hmm. He's Fianna Fáil, you're Fine Gael. Mm -hmm. Three Fine Gael junior ministers recently wrote an op-ed suggesting what should be in the budget. And it was more tax breaks for, might be called, middle-income earners. And this was perceived to be pressure being applied by Fine Gael, who are two of your coalition partners, Fianna Fáil, and in particular to Michael McGrath. And it was pressure, and it was positioning. And the Taoiseach... Leo Varadkar did not back away from his ministers. He supported them. You're known to have a good relationship with Michael McGrath. And how is this going to help him and you draft your budget for October? Because the tensions clearly exist between two parties who are popular as a government, but between whom tensions appear to be rising. Mm -hmm. 
So there's a, a lot of big questions in what you've said to me. And let me try and say a word about the two of them, which is the budget. And then as you have accurately noticed, the tension between the perception of there being lots of money available and the day-to-day challenges we have most noticeably in housing and health. And beginning with the second one really quickly, um, I had a, an experience recently, Eamon, that reinforced for me uh, how complex the environment is that particularly myself and Minister McGrath are in at the moment. Every few weeks I go into a different secondary school in my constituency and meet students, talk about politics, talk about the work that I do. And a few months ago I was in my own secondary school, which is St. Declan's, a Christian Brothers School there in the Neffin Road in Cabra. And I was in front of around a hundred transition year, fifth year and final year students. And I was talking about the work that we're doing to get ready for the budget. And a young man who was sitting on the front row, who was wearing the school, the same school uniform I wore in the late 80s and early yes. 90s, put his hand up and said to me, why are you saying don't spend money that we have if my family can't get a home? Yes. And it brought to life to me, and this happens to me every day, the difficulty in making the argument about saying, don't spend all of what we have available to us. And the heart of the reason why I'm making that argument is I am certain that some of the tax revenue that we have coming in that currently delivers the surplus that we have, which for next year will be around 12 billion euro, I'm certain we won't have that in a few years' time. Yes. Uh, And I've been around before when the money ran out and I just don't want to be part of that ever happening again. But then, of course, that's a very difficult argument to make because then we have so many needs that the country might feel we can meet by spending more money. Whereas I'm strongly of the view that if we spend even more money than we're planning to do, we will spend money that might not be available to us in a few years' time with the potential risk of creating a problem we're all too familiar with. Yes, and and that's because of the crash in the noughties, the financial boom, if you like, the government experienced at that time was due to property tax and all of the taxes associated with the property boom ran out, crashed. Exactly. Now, the Irish Fiscal Authority gave you and Michael a rap over the knuckles recently when in the summer statement you put a figure of six billion there instead of five. Mm-hmm. And they did actually draw a very vivid picture of what might happen, referring back to the past if we are not prudent. Absolutely. And prudence is on one side of the equation and being elected or re-elected as a government is on the other side of the equation, isn't it? Uh, And I would argue that there is still a, a, a large group of voters within our country who are willing to make the case for being ready for another difficult moment, who are willing to listen to an argument for not spending every cent that's always available to us. But the context of the question then you posed to me about IFAC, that's the Fiscal Advisory Council, which is the crash that we experienced in the noughties, that's my defining political experience. Yes. So I entered into politics 
And I spent all of my early years in politics being around when we ran out of money. And that, above all, is the experience that has led to my instincts in economic policy. Now, then, of course, he went on to make then the point that even with those instincts, the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council came out there last week and said, we're still spending too much. And the counter argument that I would offer to that is even though you are correct to say that our budget day package is approximately a billion euro more than IFAC would have wanted it to be. On the other hand, there's 11.7 billion euro of a surplus next year that myself and Minister McGrath are making the case not to spend. And we are now in our third year of having a surplus and a growing surplus. So for last year, it was around 8 billion. For this year, 10 billion. And there are very few countries in Europe at the moment that are posting surpluses and hardly any that are in their third year of doing it. And the reason why I believe it's the right thing for us to do is I believe the we are making progress on housing. We are making progress on health. And maybe we'll go on to test those uh, uh, arguments in a moment. But in order to make more progress on health and housing, I don't believe we should spend money that at the flick of a pen or due to some senior executive somewhere in the world decide making a decision about, we might find out isn't available to Ireland anymore. And I don't want that to happen to our country for the second time in a few decades. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now, the budget is important to many people for many reasons, particularly 
people who are less well off and people who are perhaps on social welfare, mm -hmm. people who are renting or maybe can't even find that. And for that reason, there is a lot of expectation and tension that builds up. And I want to ask you about, I know your relationship, or I believe your relationship with Michael McGrath is good. And it's not difficult to see why, because as people, both of you are fairly, you know, reasonable, level-headed. But at Fine Gael Parliamentary Party last week, one of your deputies, backbenchers, said, why should we let these guys, you know, alone? They crashed the economy. Michal Martin then came out, Thomas Janel, former Taoiseach, who swapped with Leo, and he was, he sounded quite angry. So there clearly is tension there, and there clearly are big decisions to be made. What does that cause in terms of a result on Budget Day? The axis of it all will be, uh, as we approach the budget, will be the relationship between myself and the Minister of Finance, Michael McGrath. I couldn't have a better relationship with him. Uh, I think he is a superb politician and uh, I believe he is an excellent Minister for Finance already. And he and I will work through all of this. Uh, you've made reference there to what was said in the Fine Gael Parliamentary Party meeting and earlier on in the interview you talked about a three of my Minister of State colleagues and their article about taxation. Now, on the other hand, um, as we move through the budget process, I will hear lots from all over government regarding how money should be spent. And much of those comments will be aimed at me. And if you look at the nature of the relationship that's in place between ourselves in Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil and then the Green Party. Incredibly now, I've had the privilege of serving in three different governments. And I remember, and Eamon, you'll remember this as well, similar articles been written about the relationship between Fine Gael and Labour. Similar articles been written about the relationship between me and Shane Ross. And now the, this analysis, and it's just part of what yeah. it's like being in government with different political parties or independent politicians. And it's all part of politics of a coalition government. Maybe in a different universe, we might have been in government with you, Eamon. <laughs> Can you imagine what those discussions would have been like now? I, I think I would have been unelectable. <laughs> the, the question, I suppose, that most concerns and perplexes people is how can we, doing very well on a year-to-year -year basis, I think maybe a, a best in Europe, are we, in terms of the tax Public finance. Public finance is the best, yeah. yeah. And you personally deserve great credit for that, as does Michael McGrath, but you've been around this ministry for a long time now. How can we and you explain to people that, yes, we have the best public finances in Europe, and yet our health service and our housing situation is so bad. It's so bad that Sinn Féin, are by far, according to opinion polls, the most popular party in the country, and by a distance. How can you explain the problems we have in health and housing to people? And more importantly, for people who are listening, can, for example, the housing problem be fixed? Can the health problem be fixed? 
So how do I make the argument for not spending every cent that we have at the moment? I'd make well, you've made that argument and made it very convincingly. I think anyone who was around for the crash yeah. knows the dangers. They do. And then you've made the point then again regarding where we are then with housing and where we are with health. I'd say two things about uh, that, that particular argument. Number one, um, I remember um, even more recently when the pandemic hit. For the first six months of the pandemic, Eamon, every interview I did when we were beginning to spend billions of euros to help support our economy as the disease killed so many, every interview I did, the question was put to me, we're going to have to return to austerity after the pandemic. And I made the argument back that wouldn't happen in Ireland. Yes. And I made that argument because uh, I was confident we could do what we would have to do in the pandemic and our public finances could absorb it. Not only did we avoid going back to austerity, we then had the capacity to spend again to help cushion our economy in dealing with the consequences of the war on the poor people of Ukraine. And that even beyond the global financial crisis and those awful moments now of 15 years ago, for me, is another argument regarding why having public finances that are safe is so important to a small country. We could deal with the pandemic, we could deal with the costs and can deal with the costs of helping our country deal with a war and still be standing. And then that then leads on to what you would say to me about health and housing. Do I believe we can fix, to use your phrase, those issues? Yes, but it will take time. And where I would argue is if you look at where we are with health, if you look at where we are now in Ireland versus where we were 20 years ago, 20 years ago, if you got a stroke in Ireland, your life and the rest of your life is fundamentally different to where it is now. 20 years ago, there are forms of cancer that our health services can now treat and cure that a few decades ago would have killed you. And our progress on health can best be seen not by where we are week by week, month by month, but where we are year by year. And similarly with housing, um, the housing is the problem that never recovered from the global financial crisis. But this year, we're going to build 29,000 homes. Next year, we'll build more than 30,000 homes. At the moment, our local authorities are building more houses than they have for decades. So are we doing enough to convince enough people in Ireland at the moment that the problem is fixed? Clearly not. Aren't the people... I'd argue we're making progress, though. Aren't the people you really need to convince people in their 20s and early 30s? who decide to leave Ireland because they were nursing and conditions in A&E or whatever were just intolerable. Aren't the people you need to convince the people in the same age group who look at the housing situation and they can't even afford to rent and they can't foresee a time that they will be able to. It's not so much that... It's not only that they can't get there now. It's very hard if you're, say, 30, to look at the present housing situation and go, or it's very hard if you're working in the health service as a nurse to think, 
We're dependent on foreign, many hospitals dependent entirely on foreign labour for nursing. Can the country solve the questions in those people's minds of that demographic in that age group? And shouldn't that be a priority? Or, or, or do we expect too much of government? And there are certain things that even when you're in the highest offices of state, as you are, we're impotent on. I don't believe that having a, enough homes in our country or a health service that nurses can work in is to ask too much of government. Uh, and uh, do I believe we can improve uh, those issues? Yes, absolutely. Uh, only a few months ago, I was in the Rock Wing, the new extensions to Matter Hospital, which will provide uh, trauma care for people who were involved in horrific accidents. And I saw the improvement that something like that will deliver to our nurses and doctors and then to our patients. A few weeks ago, I was, for example, in Devney Gardens in the North Circular Road. You'll know it well, Eamon. And see new homes being built there after decades of commitments being made to build them. And your earlier point to me regarding that cohort of younger citizens, yes, they're a big part of the group that the government needs to persuade and my party needs to persuade because ultimately I'm a politician of the centre here in Ireland. I'm trying to make the case to people that the system can work for you and that most of the time for most of the people it does work. But then if you have a large group of people who believe the system will never work for them, then that opens up questions regarding faith that they will have in our country and then in the political mainstream of the European Centre here in Ireland who argues that it will work for you. And I accept we need to do better for those people. But in the 12, 18 months that this government still has to serve, I believe we can show the difference that we can make. We've had to deal with a pandemic. We've had to deal with the effects of a war in our economy and our society. And despite all of that, there'll still be 29,000 more homes built in this country than there were a year ago. And despite that, many of our people will still see better health outcomes in a health service that had to deal with a pandemic. Um, and I believe we've played a role in making that happen. Okay, just a final question, Minister. You are the chair of the Euro Group of Finance Ministers. Mm -hmm. It's a very prestigious position and it's testimony to the regard in which you're held by your colleagues in Europe. We are, as everybody knows, living in a time of geopolitical danger, almost unprecedented. The Russian invasion of Ukraine, a war that could go on for we don't know how long. The possibility of the next U.S. presidential election, which is next November, mm -hmm. November 24, producing a president who will be maybe isolationist. His name might be Donald Trump. And the increased, shall we say, aggression or confidence of China, its activity around Taiwan. We are living in a very, very dangerous world. How important do you think it is that we in Ireland are conscious of that and 
that the European Union, and this goes to the question of neutrality, which there's a big debate around, that the European Union needs, A, to be cohesive, which it isn't entirely at the moment, and that Ireland needs to be prepared to commit to the values of the West. So... There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of questions there. It it, it boils down to the stability of our way of life, Mm -hmm. our Western way of life, as opposed to the tyranny that Vladimir Putin would bring to parts of Europe and the Balkans that are defenseless. So I am, by nature, one of life's great optimists. I always believe... Uh, that better days are ahead. I always believe we can make progress in dealing with any issue. You must be having a hard time right now Uh, when you look abroad. And that optimism is both needed, I believe, to keep going. But unfortunately, the analysis you've just offered of the world is one I agree with. Um, I believe we are in uh, the early phase of the security and economy of our world restructuring and becoming uh, more volatile, more unpredictable, and to use the word you did use earlier on, becoming more dangerous. I believe that is happening. And whether it be uh, the uh, what is happening visibly from a security point of view with regard to Russia, what may happen in the future, though I hope not, with regard to the growing security status of China, And then, for example, the kind of debates that are underway in America, most notably in the Republican Party in America, means that Europe is going to have new responsibilities in the future because we will have to look after ourselves in a way we haven't had to in the past, economically, politically, and also from a security perspective. And what that will mean is, I believe a period of significant change for the European Union that will be greater than the era of change that we went through with the Treaty of Lisbon when Europe and the European Union expanded to the East. And while there's lots of things that I can't predict, and if we time, we may go into some of the change that I think will happen. The one thing I'm certain about is that for a small country on the western edge of Europe to be safe, and get our way through this. Our membership of the European Union is fundamental to our safety. Yes. Economically and in every other way you can think of. And that will mean that we need to be increasingly conscious of that context of change and difficulty in the future, but also the opportunities that still exist for us. But our way of getting, making the the best of what lies ahead and guarding against the worst is being strong members of the European Union and, however, European Union that is going to change. In what way? So I would pick out well, let me just three, three rephrase ways. that question. Yeah. The neutrality debate that's going yeah. on here seems to me to be a bit vague. It's based on an assumption on the side of people who say we should remain neutral, on the assumption that none of these things we've just been talking about are happening, but they are happening. So they are happening. 
And if I deal with the neutrality issue head on, uh, I believe and support the principle uh, of Ireland being a neutral country. But I believe within that concept of neutrality, there will be new security difficulties that we will have to deal with in the future. So being neutral does not mean we have the luxury of not thinking about our security. Yes, yes, when the Tonish and Michael Martin set up a group to explore the very question of our neutrality, even setting up the group to talk about it was controversial. That's crazy, isn't it? It it was controversial. I think understandably so, given how prominent the concept of neutrality is within our psyche and society. But for example, you'll remember a couple of years ago when the HSE was subject to a cyber attack. Yes, from Russia. Yeah, from, from, from groups somewhere in that part of the world. Who were, would not be operating. If Do you think they care if we're neutral on us? No. Of course they don't. Doesn't even feature for a second in their thinking. We have inside our jurisdiction a very significant amount of um, investment within our country that has a cyber nature to yes. us. We have responsibilities to that investment and those jobs within our country. Those are two elements alone, which we will need to think more carefully about in the future while remaining neutral. And likewise, if you think about what our security presence abroad has been, which has been in the Middle East and Africa, I believe there'll be more of a demand for that work in the future. I believe our supply to meet that demand will be bigger, will be larger in the future than it has been in our past while remaining neutral. So the point I'm trying to make, Eamon, here uh, is by use of those different examples, our country can remain neutral, but it will need to think more about our security. Yes. And that, I believe, is part of the debate that is underway in the forum that you've referred to. And then as regard to the change that will happen in the European Union, I'll just pick out two. And number one, it will at some point in in our lifetimes, and I hope soon in our lifetimes, Eamon, expand to the East to fulfill the new commitments that we will have to the people of Ukraine alone. Yes. And secondly, we will have to become more economically resilient in a world that will become more economically interdependent while change could happen in America and China. Yes. And all of that will mean a very different European Union to now. But I believe a European Union that Ireland should aspire to play a big part in. Okay, Minister, we're very grateful to you for joining us on The Stand. Minister for Public Expenditure, National Development Plan, and reform, Pascal Donahue. Thank you very much indeed. That's all we have time for. We're very grateful to the Minister, to all of you for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? 
Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 